It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 743 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Hey, I'm very excited about today's episode. Joining me as my guest today is my friend, Howard Brown. Howard is the founder and CEO of Ring DNA. Now, sometimes in our work, we are fortunate to meet really smart people who have fresh and unique perspectives on how we can come better at sales. I mean, it's just as individuals and just collectively as a profession. And for me, Howard has been one of those people. Listeners know that I believe success in sales is achieved through the human connections we make and the human connections we develop. And Howard perhaps understands that better than any. CEO I've met. And perhaps that's because he holds a PhD in clinical psychology and worked as a practicing therapist before starting his own entrepreneurial career that eventually led him to start Ring DNA. So, in today's show, Howard and I are going to cover a lot of interesting topics related about this human connection. We're going to start by talking about how sales reps can become better conversationalists. I really like that term. It's a great description of how reps should think of themselves and the job they need to do. We'll also dive into how tools like Ring DNA can help you analyze sales conversations at scale and how to coach reps, how to modify how they communicate in order to achieve better sales outcomes. We'll also get into a number of other topics, including like how to, how to do a better job of onboarding reps in a way that's really consistent with how people actually learn. You know, instead of saying, we got to onboard people in this fixed period of time, is there a better way to do it that gets the, better, the best out of people? And we'll also talk about the science of sales. And how we're using all this data we're collecting and how we analyze it and maybe how we can use it better. So we'll get into that and uh, much, much more. And uh, let's do it. Let's jump into it. Howard, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, Andy. Great to see you again. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk with you. So um, you're joining us from where today? Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles. So this is where we're recording this right before Thanksgiving. So... Uh, given the weather that's sweeping across the country, probably a good place to be. Yeah, I have no complaints. I yeah. certainly can't complain, to, complain about weather in Los Angeles when I see what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, for those who aren't familiar, you're the founder CEO of Ring DNA. So, just fill listeners in a little bit about what Ring DNA does. So, uh, simply, we help sales teams uh, achieve better results through. A variety of tools mm-hmm. um, built that uh, we encapsulate as a sales acceleration platform. It could be called sales engagement platform. Mm-hmm. It could be called sales enablement platform. It could be called RevOps platform. The basic concept is that we help teams perform better. So it's not simply about doing more. It's about being more effective. It's about training your team. It's mm-hmm. about helping folks. Uh, really focus on the things that matter to help their performance. Music to my ears, as you know. So, uh, so Ring DNA, part of your platform, you sort of compete in this conversational intelligence space with the usual suspects. Um, so, interested in your take on on how you see that category evolving, right? Because yeah. it, it seems to be very focused now on sort of um, I call it sort of fundamental coaching, I guess, but I'm not sure that's the right, the right term for it. But interesting to see what you think about that. Yeah. So it, it's funny that we call them the usual players. So we, we started Ring DNA in 2012 with the idea of 
uh, enhancing reps' performance, providing them contextual information. Um, really, we we provide the telephony as well as the variety of other engagement mm-hmm. tools, including SMS and email and those sorts of things. Right. And one of the things we noticed early on is that managers wanted the ability to listen into their reps' calls, to provide feedback, to really help them with their sales process and onboarding and training. And once our our customers started recording those phone calls, we started analyzing them back in 2014. So Mm -hmm. when you talk about usual customers, I've seen this influx of of new new products in the market. but you know, Ring DNA has been in the conversation analytics space, really analyzing calls for our customers since 2014, and now we have over 130 million phone calls, which is just a massive amount of data. And we take that data, and we really uh, mash that up with all the metadata that comes from Salesforce, from mm-hmm. their marketing information, from what actually transpires during the phone call to help reps with better outcomes. So. Yes, it is coaching. Yes, it is onboarding and it is analyzing sales conversations. But even more importantly, it's really helping reps uh, be better conversationalists, right? So we can help them do more, but we can also help them be better. And that's what this is really about. So define conversationalists. And and when you say that, are we referring primarily to SDRs or are we talking about AEs as well? Yeah, no. So conversationalists, I, I think of you as a great conversationalist, Andy. Well, you know, thank so, you. Yeah, I mean, you, you know how to ask the right questions to get to the point, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but 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 really, it's about two way communication, right? If, mm-hmm. if a conversation is simply one way, uh, it's not very effective. And whether it's an AE or an SDR or somebody who's handling inbound. Um, it's really about helping the other person on the phone. Right? Mm-hmm. So for me as a, as a sales rep, my job is to hopefully provide value and value quickly right. to whomever I'm speaking to, whether I'm an AE, an SDR, a, uh, a, a success or support rep, my job is to provide value. And that's where we're prim- primarily focused. Right. Cause it seems like for some of your competitors is that they seem to be so focused Primarily in the SDR part of the equation, right? And which has always sort of concerned me. It's like, okay, well, that's a small fraction of the whole sales process. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not use it for everybody, right? That's, you know, from it to your point, you know, AEs, the customer success, and so on. Yeah, I, I, I guess for me, coming out of uh, with my background in clinical psychology, having been a psychologist, really the idea of studying conversations has always been not only top of mind, but truly within my heart, right? Mm-hmm. How do we help people um, build rapport, build relationships, better communicate with one another? And with the advent of incredible storage technology and computing power, I'm really able to analyze conversations at scale. So you read these psychology books when you're in your doctoral program and your Mm -hmm. master's program and you learn so much and so much is similar, but it's really hard to apply those theories unless you're one-on-one with clients. And then you don't really get to see the outcome of that unless you work with them over a period of years. You don't know what they're like with their spouse or their children behind the scenes. With the technology we have today, (laughs) we're actually able to see 
we coach someone on how to ask better questions, how to build better rapport, how to address objections. And then through the data we receive, the outcomes, the disposition, the next steps, we're actually able to see if changing how they communicate actually equates to better outcomes. So for me, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Mm -hmm. I'm able to analyze conversations at scale, which is so powerful. So a question, though, and, and you and I have talked about this offline before, is that, yeah, in this field, there's companies that have you know lots of calls or analyzing, and they publish these articles on LinkedIn, which to me are... You know, say it, uh, Andy. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> Pseudoscience um, and statistically unsound, right? I mean, that that they draw conclusions based on all these variables in the data that that aren't controllable, and so right. you know they generalize, right? Then there was one recently as you know, salespeople apologize too much. I guess was it, and you know, should only <laughs> apologize thirteen percent of the time, and da 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 da, and. And I love the idea of having this data, but only if we can have something meaningful that comes out of it that's that's not basically clickbait in my mind is because yeah. you know the variables you got to control for is you know that's they right. all talking to the same type of customers about the same type of products it was men selling to men, men selling to women women selling. I mean I've got a dozen items that that have an impact on that that I don't think you that don't necessarily revert to the mean over over a larger sample size so how do we You're use speaking how, my gospel, Andy? I love it. Okay. So, so, so how do we how do we, how do we handle that so that we can use these hundred million calls and say, yeah, here's something really meaningful that applies. Yeah, not to say nothing's going to apply to one hundred percent of the people, but as solid science around what people should do. Yeah, and I think you you really uh, you nailed it when you talk about the differentiation between clickbait and true science, mm-hmm. right? And I think we live in a world of clickbait today, sure. and and true science is usually ignored, and that's because it's harder to get to. So it's one thing to have 130 million phone calls; it's another thing to set up a testing environment that allows you to tweak out all the variables. So to your point, a man speaking to a man, a man speaking to a woman. Uh, what stage of a sales process is someone in? What title are they speaking to? Exactly. What type um, of product? What, what's the dollar size? All those yeah, things. Right. Opportunity amount. All of those sort of things need to be tweaked out. And you can't do it with a small sample size. And it's not a one size fits all. No. If it was a one size fits all, I'd tell people who came into therapy, hey, just be nicer to each other. <laughs> Apologize more. <laughs> tell your wife you love her. And you know what, Andy, you'd get? a lot of divorced people, you you get a lot of miserable people because it's not simple, right? People are complicated. Conversations are dynamic. Now, having having said that, if you have a large enough sample size and you tweak out the data in a way that you use artificial intelligence, so let's talk about that for a moment. Sure. The most important part of artificial intelligence is the questions you ask. You can have a tremendous amount of data. You can have incredible models. But unless you're asking the right questions, you're not going to be able to get at anything that, to your point, um, is really actionable. So, And asking the right questions in this sense in terms of the questions you're asking the algorithm, basically. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. So in a sales conversation where the amount is in excess of 
$500,000 and I'm talking to a VP of sales and this is my fifth conversation and they've looked at five pieces of content and they've introduced us into um, a, um, a IT person mm-hmm. and you know, we've already discussed pricing. We've gone through competitor conversations. We've aligned the features and benefits. We've set up a POC. What are the things that my reps are most effective talking about at this stage of the conversation? That my friend is science as opposed to you should apologize more in this conversation. Or less in that case. Yeah, right. Well, and I... (laughs) Right. And I think this then becomes really relevant to sellers because, you know, I think one of the, maybe this is human nature. I don't know. You're the psychologist. You tell me. But, but especially true in the sort of clickbait world, I see even this in behavioral economics, right? Is that we have these books been written, these well known authors, and they say, okay, you know, if you take these steps to influence somebody in this situation, right. But even in their studies, which for the most part conducted fairly small sample sizes and so on, it was only true. A fraction of the time, right? Right, and yet everybody takes sort of this finding and says, "Well, huh, hundred percent of the time, this is what I should be doing." And right. I and I think we get this problem is that that you know we're taking these. Everybody wants to have a process to follow instead of trusting their their intuition, their experience. Yeah, and and this is part of the problem I see with some companies the way they're applying conversational intelligence is they're trying to say, "Look, here's who what." Jennifer does, and she's number one. So mm-hmm. do what Jennifer does, right. as opposed to saying, to your point earlier, is you're unique. Yeah, we want to coach you to be the best version of you, not a copy of Jennifer. And you nailed it. That that is that is actually the point. Is how do I make you the best you you can be, as opposed to trying to turn you into Jennifer? Right. And 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 that look, I think as because I'm also a CEO of a company, I think we all have a mandate to grow faster, more revenue, more customers. And I think in an effort to scale quickly, we want that magic bullet. We want the formula. We want the super cadence that works across everything. The problem is, yes, certain things you can build automation towards. Mm -hmm. Certain things um, you can standardize. But at the end of the day, the reason you're hiring reps that are athletes or people who are coachable is they require coaching mm-hmm. and they're able to take that coaching. But unless Open you're coaching it, right? them, unless you're spending time with them, listening to their phone calls, because it's one thing to analyze a hundred million phone calls. It's another thing to analyze 50 of one rep and hear, you know, that rep make the same mistake over and over mm-hmm. again. How do I help that rep? And where do I, how do I surface the calls where that rep is continuing to make a mistake that is causing them to not close the deal? And that's where you can truly use artificial intelligence across your team. Surface those moments where I can coach this rep, mm-hmm. not, not, hey, give them one quick fix across the team. No, we have a thousand reps. The reps, are of all different levels. They're at different levels of ramping. They're, they have different abilities. How do I help each individual rep? Where are the reps that I need to focus on? And what do I need to focus on to get them to a point where they're now being effective? And then evaluate how effective was that coaching? Did it in fact work? Right. Because just because you've coached someone on something that you've assumed or the technology has surfaced as a coachable moment 
doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to see the benefit of that single coachable moment. Right. You have to actually measure the effectiveness of not only the coaching, but the coach. How well right. did they do it? And how do we coach our coaches to be better? Well, which which brings up sort of, I think, sort of a global issue that that I see is that is that there's sort of a general consensus among sales that salespeople don't get enough coaching, period. Right? Yep. And and as well, a general consensus that we've not done enough to coach our coaches how to coach. <laughs> Sorry, too many coaches in that sentence. But I, I got you though. But you got you. Okay. So now we're, we bring more technologies, just not conversational AI, but there'll be other technologies that come in that provide the, the coaches the ability to provide more specific coaching and a path to greater effectiveness. But if they're not investing the time to do it now, what's, what's the motivation to get them to invest the time to use these tools to effectively coach? Mm-hmm. And that's that's to me is sort of a conundrum, right? I mean, we're going to have all these technologies out there that can do these things, but we have just haven't changed the fundamental culture, underlying culture to say, yeah, we need to. How do we motivate our our coaches to coach? Yeah, and uh, and that's a great question. And I think at the end of the day, results are what drives change behavior, right? And, mm-hmm. and what we're seeing. And not to to sing my own tune here. Dude, but, that's why you're on the show. Well, I'm on the show because I like talking to you, Andy. <laughs> but I will say that, you know, we just pulled our report. And if we look across our customers, ramp time decreased across all Ring DNA customers on average eight weeks for a ramped rep. So from 33 weeks without Ring DNA to 25 weeks. So that's eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Eight weeks faster, they're hitting revenue. That's massive. You take right. that across a team of 100 reps or 1,000 reps, and you're seeing a significant change in revenue. So, okay. so let's, let me follow up a question that, though, is because is this is, triggers a thought is that, okay, yes. we've, we've decreased ramp time, yep. but yet we still have this incredible problem with attrition, certainly with yep. SDRs who are onboarding. Yes. is you know less than a year roughly a year mm-hmm. in the valley spoken globally about the tech industry so yeah we're saying yeah we're onboarding them we're saying getting eight weeks faster but we're still losing them after a year so right it's not like we get out a real marginal gain with that extra eight weeks if they're disappearing after a year right because we expect oh. to get the full productivity the full second year they're on board correct but but to your point Part of the reason they attrit is because they're not hitting quota, right? And and they're getting dissatisfied. So they're not being trained. They're not hitting quota fast enough. Uh, I think on average across our customer base, 40.4% had hit quota prior to Ring DNA. Mm-hmm. After using Ring DNA for six months, we see a 13% increase. Reps will stay longer if they're making more revenue, and we're not turning them into machines. We're actually training them to be better communicators. Right. We're using AI to humanize them, to actually allow them to improve their skills, to improve right. their performance, to see the benefit of coaching, which helps them with their business acumen, which helps them with all different areas of their personal growth, their professional growth. And that's what matters. And that's what's going to help them see a path to success beyond just SDR, but moving into the AE or management or any other areas of the business. Because if we're training our reps correctly, 
we're teaching them about business. You can't mm-hmm. just throw them in and say, sell these features. You have to teach them, yeah, you have to teach them about not only the product they're selling, who cares, but how are they solving problems that real businessmen have every single day? That's what they need to solve for. And when they start to understand that and they connect with people on that and they see the results of their work and their conversations benefiting ever other businesses, they feel a real sense of self-worth. And that is what keeps people in the job longer. So let me ask you a question then is as a follow-up to that is, if we're making our SDRs more skilled, yes, then do we re- begin to reach a point where we say, well, look, this division between AE and SDR, where we have these specialized roles, maybe that's counterproductive at this point. Because mm. if we're making our SDRs that much more skilled at being conversationalists and we're you know, training them better and, and they form that rapport and that bond with uh, the customer, why not let them finish the deal? Why not? Why not do, as many companies are these days, actually, is starting to go back and say, well, yeah, maybe we'd have a life cycle sales rep instead of partition the way it is currently. Yeah. Look, I think uh, all is worth evaluating, and I think that's what we can do with the data, right? You're talking about a full stack salesperson, right? Like full full. The way stack. I used to do it. Yes, top to bottom, carry a bag, you know, knock on the door, have the conversation, build build the story, build the use case, do all the work. Yes, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think what you're talking about really is investing in people. And yeah. that's what we're that's what we're trying to help business businesses do, invest in the people that they hire. Super expensive to recruit people. Mm-hmm. It's super expensive to find them. It's super expensive when they fail or they leave. So let's invest in them. Let's make them the best best person they can be within the organization, train them properly, onboard them properly, arm them with the tools they need to hit success, whatever success means to them and their organization, and then they can grow. So I, I don't disagree with you. I think it's it's easier to put people in these boxes and sort of, here's what we need to do, and you're going to be an SDR, and this is the training program. But to your point, there's so much attrition that maybe we need to reevaluate that. Well, and I think, yes, I think that's part of the reason. I think the other part, though, too, is, is yeah, I, to my belief, and again, you and I have talked about this before, is, is I think we have this fundamental productivity problem in sales, right? We've certainly in the tech business, SaaS business, the, the win rates are, I think, unacceptably low. There's no reason for them to be there. And I think part of the you know, turning factor to that is that this handoff, right? Yeah. Because suddenly the customer has to form start all over again with somebody again. That's right. And, and, you know, part of what you're trying to do, and you and I have talked about this before too, is that is part of the function of a relationship is to have the customer say, look, I'm going to give you the power to influence me. Mm-hmm. Right? That's fundamentally what that relationship is about, is I'm yeah. opening myself up for you to influence the decision that I'm going to make. Well, you're going to two-step that, or if you could just one-step it, think how much quicker you could get to the end result, perhaps, mm. than we do currently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it again, it's it's you're building a relationship, right? At its core, I'm allowing you to influence me, which means that I, I've put some trust in you. And, yeah. and I'm assuming that you're going to lead me down a road where 
I may or may not choose your application or your service, but you're going to inform me. You're going to help me make a decision. And that decision may or may not be to go with you, Mm -hmm. but I've built a relationship. And now if I start a relationship with you and, oh, by the way, I've done my job and here's Johnny and Johnny's going to take it from here and I don't hear from you anymore, there's one, I'm lo- I'm lacking that continuity. Two, right. the trust that we've built just has been broken because I know that Johnny's not you and you're not Johnny. So now I got to get used to another relationship and he may have another sales technique and he has a different comp structure and he's looking at things very differently. And now I'm left feeling like, oh, I just got abandoned. I started talking to her <laughs> and now I'm ending up with her friends. So what what just happened? Well, and that's that's friction, right? That's friction in the customer experience. And so if you compare that with an organization that says, look, we're really committed to minimizing that friction because we are yeah. trying to help the customer move quickly, which is what the customer wants to do. The customer wants to quickly gather information to make a good decision mm-hmm. with the least investment of time possible. If I can help them do that, then I start building that relationship from day one. While they're restarting, trying to build a relationship, we're still on the path that we were on before. And so we're ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think more companies are, are seeing that. And I think there's it may depend a little bit if you're more transactional product-wise than, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. You know, splitting it up the way it is, that's fine. But with any sort of complexity, like what you guys sell and so on, I don't know. I think companies need to rethink about it. I want to go back to a point you had mentioned before because – yeah, this whole thing about onboarding is a real interest to me because um, – have you read Epstein's book, Range? Yes. Yeah. So, you and I always read the same books, Andy. <laughs> and so – But you know yours are my favorite. Now, I have to give you the plug. I have copies of your book all over my office. Well, thank Every you. new rep is forced to read your book and um, – I'm, Hopefully they don't feel like it's, they're being pressured to read it, but yeah. Well, <laughs> well, if they don't, they're fired within the first three days. Oh, so there we go. Well, <laughs> just just wait till the new one comes out. So I'm, I'm super psyched. Yeah, It'll be about a year, but it's coming. So, um, but it's this idea that that people learn at different rates, right? And that and that that's okay. But it certainly seems like you know we become so concerned about onboarding time, understandably mm-hmm. so. But on the other hand. To your point is we are dealing with individuals, and it, I always draw the analogy to like athletes, right? You see somebody come into the NBA, let's take it, or soccer that I follow, highly touted, coming out of college, I'll say into the NBA. But, you know, some guys adapt to the pro game quickly. Some guys take longer. I mean, Steph Curry took better part of a year, a year and a half. to, uh, And people are sort of doubting initially, you know, is this going to be the guy? But then it got it. But it doesn't seem like we have the patience to give people the leeway to develop at their own rate. And as a consequence, we, we miss out on people that could be very, very productive. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is what are we, what are we measuring, right? If, we're, if all we're measuring is their ability to close a deal in X number of days, weeks, or months, we may be missing the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So, so when you talk about onboarding, um, we, we have a, a bucket of things that people learn about our product, about the industry, about their, um, their ability to have conversations with others, their ability to handle pricing objections, deal with competitor mentions, those sort of things. 
what we're really looking for is improvement, mm-hmm. right? So their ability to improve in any of those categories is really for us a, a leading indicator, right? So I'm not just looking for them to close the deal. I'm looking for them to have more conversations, set up more demos, solve more problems, get greater feedback from our customers whether or our prospects, whether they bought or not. I want to learn what was the sales process like for you, Mr. Mm. Prospect? And, and I don't think people get net promoter scores after people become customers or after they deal with a support right. issue. But how about how was that sales process for you? What did you learn? You may not have been interested in buying anything when this person called mm-hmm. you. But did you leave that conversation richer? Are you thinking about your problem in a different way? Did they illuminate mm-hmm. a different problem than you may have even thought you had? And is this a person you would reach out to when you may be further down in the buying process? And so raise a great point because I was writing about this section this morning is, is, and talking to, with a client about it recently is, is so do your reps ask those questions of the prospects at the end of each call did no. this did this call meet your your you know your expectations for what you thought was going to happen you know so on which is such a great opportunity to find out okay was there value here for the prospect if there was no value problematic yeah, yeah. and and how do we get reps or people in general to a point where they feel safe and comfortable asking for feedback, knowing that not everything's going to be glowing and to take those lessons Mm -hmm. learned as an opportunity to grow as opposed to criticism. So I I think that what I see a lot in the sales training, in the conversational analytics or intelligence space is your your manager will listen to a call. They'll find 47 things that you did mm-hmm. incorrectly during the call. They'll pepper you with everything you need to change about you and your self-esteem and your performance actually goes down right. as right. opposed to finding a coachable moment One. or allowing the application to find that coachable moment, training around that, and then testing and measuring if that training in fact benefited this specific rep. Because I'll tell you, if, you, if I'm taking a a swing in golf and I have some instruction, the guy tells me 12 things I need to improve. My score goes down. I get confused. I get uncomfortable. It's happened to me in (laughs) basketball and baseball. Don't give me too much because then I'm going to swallow it all. And all I do is end up a disaster. And we do that to people, whether they're in sales or any other area I, I do it with my kids. Like if I'm giving my kids some advice or I'm giving them uh, some coaching, if I'm giving them too much, they just shut me out. Yeah. And so why would we expect anybody else to do anything differently? Yeah. Well, I was always remember uh, oh, back in the 80s <laughs> reading a, uh, a paper from these MIT scientists about change management. And yeah. they said it's really very simple. You know, how you make it successful. Adopt one change. Work on it till you've succeeded at it. <laughs> Integrate a second change. <laughs> you know, don't yeah. don't do things. You know, in you know, in parallel, do them in sequence. Yeah, yeah, I lo- and I love it. And whether it was the old eighties or now, I think it's still applicable. Oh, I think it's it's very applicable. So you know, as we start, we were talking about AI. We we're talking about uh, you know rate of improvement. So mm-hmm. I guess the question I have is: is do you have a metric for rate of improvement. 
Because to me, this is, I ask this purely self-interest because I think it is one of the real opportunities for us to have a meaningful metric in several dimensions about rate of improvement that really speak to sales productivity as opposed mm-hmm. to activity, which is what people sort of count as productivity these days, which is not the case. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, was, <laughs> I was speaking to a group not that long ago, and, and I was asking this group of CEOs, a private equity firm brought their CEOs together. And I, I uh, said, well, who's planning on raising quota this year? And you know, they all sort of raised their hand. They're Boys. startups. They're trying to grow. I said, great. Yeah, so you know, how much are you going to do that? Uh, yeah, sort of average, like 15%. Perfect. Okay. So have your people gotten 15% better this year? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, have you invested in the training? you invested in the coaching? Do you have a metric to say, yeah, my people have gotten better? Or are you just raising that number and expecting people to, to hit it, which you is the way. Your, you had your answer, though, didn't you, Andy? <laughs> well, of course I know what the answer was. <laughs> but this is the way we operate still in sales is, is we're just going to arbitrarily raise a number and we don't say, look, have we improved? Has the underlying improvement been there mm-hmm. in terms of how we've trained and, and upskilled our people? And That's so right. when you talked about sort of rate of improvement, I just think that is a metric we need to start tracking and developing and tracking for individual reps. Yeah, give me some examples of areas you would see rate of improvement worth scoring. Well, it could be types of conversations you're having, right? Mm-hmm. Is is and maybe you know certain progress points within conversations that are about certain things, you know, in the scenario has this person over the last 20 instances have they got a better outcome? based mm-hmm. on the coaching that we've given them. Mm-hmm. And so if you see some sort of consistent improvement in, in specific areas, then you know, you've got something to work on. Yeah. You know, that's why I always, you know, as you know, I advocate we should get rid of quotas and, and revert to a product, not revert to, but go to, evolve to a productivity metric that has to do with you know, dollars of revenue generate per hour of actual selling time. Because mm-hmm. then that gives me a lot of information about what I need to do to coach up and train up this person to help them get better. Yeah, that's truly revolutionary, right? And it's, I think it's the idea of figuring out what are the components that make somebody better, right? So mm-hmm. your point, we're onboarding people, but onboarding them on what, right? So right. are we onboarding them on a better conversation? What does a better conversation mean? Well, it may mean asking more open-ended questions where I'm able to collect more information and build better rapport so that at the end of that conversation, when I ask the person, was this conversation helpful? When you do have a need for this, am I somebody you will talk to? It may be in scoring something like competition handling or pricing objections. Mm. It may be, um, you know, it's, it's a variety of um, components within a conversation. Remember, conversations are different. Is it a opening conversation right. where I'm prospecting? Is it a conversation where I've now brought in a uh, sales engineer and they're helping us design yep. the solution? Like there are a variety of conversations that we need to score around, and we're utilizing the conversation analytics to score different parts of the conversation on different types of conversations to see what is improving. And I think ultimately, as we build those scorecards out and automate all of that part of the process, you can get to a point where we are looking at a metric like productivity by hour or mm-hmm. effectiveness by the hour. And that that's fascinating. 
Yeah, and I and I think I'd showed this to you once in, in the past. Is is uh, you know simple call scoring system. Totally. Yeah, you know, there's only three outcomes for a call. You made progress. Customers closer to making a decision than they were before you started the call. It's neutral or it's negative. That's right. And I think you can put every interaction you have with a buyer into one of those three scores. So I, I just called it a one, a zero, or a minus one. Oh, you're so binary, aren't you? You're, like, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're building my artificial intelligence for us. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, if you have something that scores it that simple, and if you ask and you know, take the first call, is you know, if you don't make that connection on the first call, then yeah, let's say there's you and a competitor, mm-hmm. you're a one, the max score for the call is a one, they're a zero. Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly you have the advantage the rest of the way through. Totally. Totally. Now, that doesn't mean they're not talking to the other guys, but but it's a different relationship. This ability we talked about to earn the trust to be able to influence them. Yep. They may go through the process, but they didn't let you in to really influence them. Whereas you got in because yep. you did better up front. And I think there's there's really simple ways to conceptualize this to a, yeah. your point about a scorecard. You, when you said scorecard, it triggered the thought. Where, yeah, then you can start saying, yeah, this this is really useful information because we find out what the impact is of each of the interactions, but we only find out if we ask. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something else that we've done in lieu of asking. So because Ring DNA is different in that we're actually the telecom layer, mm-hmm. right? We actually provide the telephony. Right. We're actually the marketing data. We're the calendaring piece of it. We're the email and the SMS. Mm-hmm. Because we're embedded in so many parts of that process, we're actually able to evaluate things like, did the disposition change in a positive way? The call disposition. Right. Was lead status changed to, some, to the next stage? Did opportunity get created? Did the opportunity uh, stage increase or percentage increase? Those sort of, they're softer than, than asking the questions, sure. but because we have all of that data, because we have all the conversation data, we're able to make assumptions that this, in fact, was a one versus a zero or a minus one. And so that's what we've essentially done. We've looked at all of these signals throughout all of the phone calls right. to make that determination to then score that call with an automated in an automated way and then look at the parts of the conversation that in fact move the conversation to a one versus a zero or a minus one. Right. And I think that's fantastic. I think if you in the cases where you can yes. get the real feedback as well, then suddenly Ooh. it's like, ooh, rich, right? So yeah. all right, Howard, we could go on forever. Um, so yeah. Well we'll have to have to try that. So um Thank you. Gosh, so tell people how they can learn more about Ring DNA and connect with you. Uh, super simple, ringdna.com, um, Twitter, ringdna, Instagram, ringdna, um, or just reach out to me, howard at ringdna.com. I look to, look forward to hearing from you all. Andy, it's been an honor and a privilege as always, and I look forward to more time with you all as right. always. It has been fun. Thanks a lot. So talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Howard Brown. Join me again next week as my guest will be Rob Schell. Rob is the founder and CEO of Cien. And that's C-I-E-N. 
And you can find it at cn.ai. And we'll be talking about how to use AI to quantify the intangible factors that influence sales results. You definitely want to make sure you use Check that out next week, so be sure to join Rob and me then. Now, before you go, don't forget to visit andypaul.com and get your copy of my sales growth planner for 2020. Now, this is not too late to create a detailed sales plan for this year, the year that we're in. You know, it's not enough just to say that your plan is to hit your target. How are you going to do that? What concrete steps are you going to take to make it happen? Well, with this planner, I take you by the hand and walk you through a step-by-step process to create an incredibly effective sales plan to help you hit your targets in 2020. It's the same plan format I've used throughout my sales career, and I think it'll help you as well. So for more information, visit andypaul.com forward slash planner. That's andypaul.com forward slash planner to get your copy today. All right, thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>